politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. You're listening to KPFK in Los Angeles at 90.7, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner, and this is our second show, having been off the air for 12 or 13 years. We're now back on the air Tuesdays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. I'm really excited to be back. This is a program about non-religious approaches to consciousness and the nature of the soul, who we are and what we're for. It's metaphysical, it's mystical, it's magical, and we're going to feature guests every week. Today, we have a friend, someone I interviewed probably 13, 14 years ago, and it's good to have him back on, Dennis Merritt-Jones. Dennis, good afternoon, and welcome to KPFK. Brother Michael, it's good to see you again and to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Now, Dennis is the author of a number of books. His most recent we're going to talk about today. You have a Zoom class coming up soon, in fact, uh, on this very topic, The Art of Abundance. Let's begin right there and talk about, especially with the new year approaching here quickly, maybe finding a new balance or a new understanding of our relationship with money and stuff. Well, that's why I wrote the book. In the first chapter, I, I make it clear that, you know, I don't think the world needs another prosperity guru or prosperity gospel. What the world needs is tools. People are are hungry for tools to they can access that would help them create a life worth living, which goes far beyond the things that most people think about when we talk about prosperity. So, you know, the, the, the idea of addressing a, the principle of abundance is really, I think, the key to this book rather than prosperity, how to manifest stuff. Prosperity is a good end result of living an abundant life, but it's not all there is to it. You know, it's been about 20 years now since the movie and the book, The Secret, came out. And after that, there were all kinds of people that were doing visualization and mind mapping and uh, affirmations to basically to conjure up stuff as if that was going to fulfill us and make us happy. And I know quite a few wealthy people. Some of them are happy, but not because they're wealthy. What's your take on that stuff? Do you think it's run its course? And what should we watch out for when somebody comes along and starts suggesting spiritual principles should be or could be used for material gain? Well, I think that that's that's entry-level metaphysics. You know, I think that's how the metaphysical teaching attracts people is that most people who are attracted to teachings that teach the need for self-accountability in your consciousness and understand that, that they have to do something to change their experience. And a lot of people 
I think they find their ways through the, the doors of, of, of metaphysical teachings or teachings that teach the law of mind, cause and effect, because they're looking to manifest a change in their life immediately, such as in a health issue or so oftentimes a money issue or a relationship issue. They're looking to, to manifest some sort of a, a short-term change that they think when they achieve that change, then life will be ah, wonderful, and yet it never ends up that way. Oddly, there is a, uh, I'll say, branch or a thread of conservative Christianity that used to mock what they called New Age thinking. And, <laughs> and uh, now they're teaching. And now they're teaching. Yeah, you anticipated <laughs> my question. Uh, what is this prosperity gospel stuff that Christ wants us to be rich? I don't get that. Well, uh, I think that that uh, there's certain uh, ministers, uh, you know, Christian-based teachings who 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 heard the the wisdom of some of the metaphysical teachers and decided that they could borrow the, that philosophy and wrap their Christian beliefs around it, thinking that that would be uh, attract a larger audience, and, and and indeed it has, and yet the value of teaching manifestation as a spiritual practice is really erroneous. That's, <laughs> that's not what it's about. Spiritual Spirituality is about whatever it takes to have a, a greater awareness of your relationship with life, capital G God, or I, I, the infinite uh, presence, universe, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's what, that's the difference between spirituality and religiosity. You know, well, Christ doesn't seem to have, uh, much respect for your wealth, uh, material wealth. I mean, he talked about a rich man has as much chance of entering heaven as a camel has of passing through the eye of a needle. Right. Which, which is an, which is an idiom, you know, but yeah, that's, you're absolutely what do you right. What mean by idiom? It's an uh, axiom of saying an aphorism. Yeah. 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 The, uh, you know, it's, it's a metaphor of sorts to, Make make clear the pointlessness of thinking that that when you get rich you're going to be able to enter the, through the gates of a life worth living, and that's monetary uh, gain alone is not what does it. You know. I think there's also something in the words of Christ about uh, store your riches in heaven and not on earth, where moth and rust doth not corrupt. I think I've got that right. Um, so he's and he hung out with poor people and sick people. And but you know what, Michael? He you're right. He did, but he also he wore a seamless robe, which was significant uh, in, in a symbology that it represented a, a great abundance, a very valuable, very precious garment. Was a seamless robe. Uh, he uh, he never asked for money. You know, he was able to manifest the, the things in his life through, I think, consciousness to create the life that he had. And I don't think he ever relied on uh, manipulating the, the world of materiality to gain it. He, he gained it through consciousness. The fact that he was barefoot or discalced, and even today there are in Europe discalced monks, and that he never would get on a horse uh, once he rode a mule, he, was, he had a bad day, a long day, he was tired. <laughs> a long day. But uh, he didn't have these Arabian horses. He wasn't racing around in uh, 
you know, all bejeweled and, and decked out. He was not the king that many would expect. He was not, he was not David. And we see this in Eastern philosophy too, in Buddhism, the injunctions of, if not poverty, at least the rejection of certain luxuries. Your bed should not be too high off the ground. And are we looking for a balance here? It's not an either or, is it? No, it's not. And, and to deny the fact that we, you know, you know, look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that we have needs, but we, sometimes we could confuse our needs with our wants, you know. <laughs> our needs are, are few and our wants are many, and, and that in itself creates imbalance. You know, the Buddha's whole teaching was about finding the middle pathway. You know, that, that was his moment of enlightenment when he discovered the middle pathway, which was the understanding of not too much, not too little of anything, not too in, not too out, not too up, too, not too down, but in the middle was just right, which means, yeah, we have to find that, that perfect balance between living a material life and living a spiritual life, not discarding one for the other, but realizing that we have to incorporate both in order to manifest a life worth living. One of the things I like a lot about your work, Dennis, is your ability and willingness and enthusiasm for integrating all of the religious traditions and more philosophies that go beyond religion into really a tapestry or a holistic, uh, elevated perspective of how things work. Has this always been the case for you? Have you always embraced the depth and breadth of theosophy and theology and I, I think it's safe to say that, that I have always known there was more than one way to the top of the mountain, you know, from a practice of, of uh, pursuing the truth. There's, there's more than one way to get to the truth. Uh, I studied uh, in Science of Mind, with, uh, which was the teachings of Dr. Ernest Holmes, and he was a student of the world's great teachings. You know, if you read his material, he, he studied Buddhism. He studied, uh, uh, you know, Hinduism. He studied uh, his, his book, Science of Mind, is based primarily on the concept of oneness, which comes from the Upanishads. So, yeah, I, so I, yeah I, I think that there's more than one, one pathway to the top of the mountain, and we have to learn that sometimes the pathways need to intersect in order for us to reach our goals. Let's talk about oneness for a bit. I think this is an important idea. Uh, the very word universe right. means one thing spinning around. And the idea of a pantheon of gods is sort of passe now. There's pretty universal approval that uh, there is one creator. But in monotheism, that one creator is separate and living outside of its creation. Right. Uh, whereas in monism, which is mostly Eastern philosophies, the idea of separation is an illusion. Right. So these are two different approaches to one thing, one life, right. one mind, one heart. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, yeah, I think that, yeah, I believe that, that we all come from the same one 
place. You know, the one, the one thing, the one presence, and that's all there is. That's the first uh, chapter, first rule in the ten rules of my book is realize you're one with life. You know, you're one with the universe. It's it's impossible to be separated from that which is the all that it is. You can't be separated from it. But but we can create a belief that we're separated from it, and our beliefs have profound impact on our experience. And so if we believe that we're separate from from life or from the universe, we're going to create experiences uh, that reinforce that by manifesting a life of duality where there's a sense of apartness from the whole. Well, even the ideas of peace and love are usually externalized in the minds of most people. Peace is the absence of conflict or hostility or aggression. And love is an emotional relationship with other people or for some folks, things. When in fact, these are interior states and conditions, aren't they? Peace and love. Sure, sure. The minute, the minute we rely on outer conditions for inner peace, we're, we're done, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, that, and that's the problem. We'll never have world peace until we have inner peace. We'll never have peace among human beings until every human being has peace within themselves. And the only way to do that is to make peace with the fact that you're one with life, whether you know it or not or like it or not. So it seems we may have this backwards, this idea that we're victims of a life that's being done to us. Right. And we have some sense of it working the other way, of contributing. But too often, it seems to me, as a reaction or a response to the primary flow of being helpless victims, maybe we should turn that around and think of life primarily, foremostly, as an emanation. Yeah, well, you're right. We are vessels through which life happens. I mean, in the beginning, there was only the one intelligence, call it God, call it whatever you want, and in and through and by means of itself and as itself, took little aspects of itself and put it out to the universe to go be me. <laughs> and so, so you know, here we are, these individual uh, beings thinking that we have this life separate and apart from the all, but we don't. We're just like, you know, the old, old I don't know, Buddhist or Hindu idea of the drop of the ocean. Are you the drop of the, or the water or are you the ocean, you know? And the reality is that we're both. Yeah, the drop may not be in the ocean, but there's nothing about the ocean that's not in the drop. And that's that paradox of the one and the many, the idea that, I mean, how could we all be part of one thing and yet recognize the diversity of human beings, our uniqueness, the fingerprint evidence, the DNA proof that every one of us is having a different experience? And yet, while it may appear to be contradictory, both of those things are true, aren't they, in your mind? Yeah, yeah. I I think that the infinite intelligence, you know, or would call it whatever you want, there's more than one of us here because it desired to have have infinite dimensional experiences of itself, and and so the only way that it could do that is to create individuals through which it could experience itself in a multitude of ways. So, if in fact, as we're discussing, separation is an illusion, let's assume that this is an important idea to consider. That changes 
it seems, right off the bat, our relationship to money and stuff. Sure does. And I, th- I think about what I believe to be a Sufi saying about living in the world, but not of it. Right. The teacher Jesus said the same thing. He said, I am in this world, but not of it. Which means, literally, I I realize that I am more than this body. I realize I came from someplace beyond what this body is. But as long as I'm in this body, I can't deny the experience of the body. I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. It means I'm, I'm subject to what this world, material world is, but I know that there's more to me than what I look at when I see look in the mirror. See, I think a lot of us block prosperity and abundance in our lives because we don't want to be wealthy if that means we're going to be arrogant and conceited and superior and nobody's going to love us then. So maybe <laughs> I'll just play small. I think we live, we're born into a shame-based society, you know, and, and just for, for the listeners' uh, benefit and, and perhaps both of ours, let's define that what we mean by, by shame. The, the best way to do that is put it in context with guilt. Guilt is a feeling or a belief that you've made a mistake, right? Shame is a belief or feeling that you're fun, you are fundamentally a mistake. You're a mistake. And if you believe that you're a mistake, that means you believe that you're not enough, that there's something missing. And that's what the, when people are operating from shame, there's a hole in the soul. And they're continually seeking to fill that hole by what they add to their, their lives numerically or, or f- fundamentally materially, that they'll fill that hole and they never will. So a shame-based belief is I'm not enough. And if I'm living in a consciousness of I'm not enough, how can I ever create enough of anything that would make my worth, my life worth living? How can you create enough from a consciousness or mindset of I'm not enough? All you'll create is more of a I'm not enough. (laughs) That makes sense. I think parenting has a lot to do with this. I'm probably revealing my own past here, but the idea that children want so desperately to please their parents, that's all we want. And parenting has always included this idea of discipline in such a way that, well, I think a lot of parents don't realize that every once in a while you you got to let the kid do the, get a sense that he's or she's done a really good job, that they are enough, that they're wonderful. You think parents could do more every once in a while, say, there, that's enough, that's wonderful, you did your best. Yeah, but but see, here's the problem, Michael. I, I think that shame is is inculcated in the the collective consciousness to such a degree that we are born into a shame-based society and we don't even realize that that's what's going on. Look at television. Pro, you know, TV, people watch TV. You know, TV is not there to entertain you. It's there to, for one thing, to sell you stuff. <laughs> and, and, and if you watch the commercials, every commercial is dedicated to convincing you that you're not enough, that there's something missing, and that when you get it, Ah, then you'll be enough, whether it's a new pair of shoes or a car or the latest diet, you know, wh- whatever it is. We're, we're always being sold this bill of goods that we're not enough. And so how can we, how can we not teach our children that if that's inculcated in, into our consciousness and the, and the collective consciousness that we, we're, we live in a belief system of not enough? Yeah, 
Fear is the thread running through all of this. Sure it is. Dennis Merritt Johns is my guest. He's the author of a half a dozen books or so. Most recently, The Art of Abundance. And that's what we're discussing today, prosperity and abundance in a balanced and integrated way. Because you got to pay your bills. Every once in a while, you got to sit down. You, you know, you may not need a Ferrari in a mansion, but... You don't want the damn car to start when you push the button, and you don't want the roof to leak. So let's talk more about it, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to KPFK. Hi, this is Michael Benner. You know, the year's almost over, and we don't want 2020 to go down without you sending your tax-deductible gift to KPFK. This has been a miserable and perplexing year, and it deserves an act of goodness and positivity to bring it to an end. Keep KPFK free. Keep KPFK going with your gift. Send a message that KPFK is your go-to for real facts, honest perspectives, and no BS analysis. Call 818-985-5735 or point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. Do it today, and thanks a lot. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, in North San Diego, we're at 93.7 FM and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. The author of The Art of Abundance, Dennis Merritt Jones, is my guest today on The Ageless Wisdom. And Dennis, you're doing this uh, Zoom class coming up soon. Some people may be listening to this in replay on a podcast, but uh, when is that, and what's it all about this? Uh, how are you going to do this in a Zoom format? Well, thank you for asking, Michael. The uh, The class is based on, on the book, The Art of Abundance, and it's a five-week class on Zoom. It's experiential, meaning that, that uh, irrespective of how many people we have on the call, we're going to create space for, for exchange and dialogue and breakout rooms and whatnot. Uh, I found that Zoom in this day and age of what's going on with with uh, this pandemic has really enabled us to continue to dive deeper into relationships, doing doing relationships differently. And there's nothing greater than exploring these kind of concepts together with a group of people, even if their bodies are all over different parts of the world <laughs> at the same time. Zoom is uh, pretty amazing and the way we fell into all of this with the pandemic. I mean, Zoom is, Zoom was around before the pandemic, but discovered as a result of the necessity of trying to stay in communication with each other. So, right. Now, there are 10 basic, what, principles. I was going to say steps, but they're more like keys to understanding the art of abundance and the first two sort of set the stage for the others. Right. The idea of oneness and the idea of expansion. Right. Why don't you lay those out for us? All right. What I discover is that people love how-to tools. They love steps. And so so I, I by my own experience and, and, and study over the last 38 years, um, 
I developed these these awarenesses of what it takes to go from an idea to execution of it, to fulfillment of it. And the the 10 steps are actually, I call them rules, you know, 10 rules for a prosperous life. The first and second rule, the first rule is be one with life. Understand that you're one with your source. You know, you can't not be, but too often we're born into a belief that we're not and that we create an experience of that. The second rule is be aware that you live in an expanding universe. If you look at uh, the universe, it's expanding right now at the speed of light, which is what, 182,000 miles a second, something like that. And and if the universe is expanding, and if you're one with life, that means you're one with the universe, that means there must be some element of that expanding universe operating in and through you as the microcosm of the macrocosm. And so when we... <laughs> it's true, but but when you when you realize that the universe is expanding at the speed of light, and you are a child of the universe, literally, that there's the, that you've been given this tool of expansion, this energy of expansion, that it's irrespective of how it's it pushing out through us, it is pushing. It's the creative urge, Holmes called it. There's this this infinite intelligence within us that needs to push out. If if it could speak, it would say, "I got to be more tomorrow than I was yesterday." That's what the universe is essentially saying to itself. It has to be more tomorrow than it was yesterday, and it does that by expanding at the speed of light, creating more of itself from within itself to push out into, which is profound. The uh, founder of psychosynthesis, uh, Sagioli, uh, noted theosophist has a great uh, saying about flowers and the way the flower reaches toward the sun, even turning toward the light to know its source. I'm not sure if the source is drawing us toward it or if something about materialism is pushing, but it feels magnetic. Like it, maybe It, it is. I think I think it's impulsive. I think that we we are as as living creatures Im, imbued with this intelligence. Look at your fingernails. Look at your hair. Look at look at the trees in your garden. You know, look at everything that's alive. Anything that has life force, it's pushing out. It's growing. It's it's becoming more than it was yesterday. And and we can either saddle that horse and ride it and take advantage of it, or we can push against it, and then it'll create more of something in our lives that is not necessarily beneficial. You know, I think that may answer the some of the big questions about who we are, why we're here, what's it all about, uh, meaning and purpose. People talk about meaning and purpose as if they're the same. I've always suspected meaning was more personal, but if purpose is universal, is it as easy as grow, evolve, be more? Could that be the purpose of everything to to evolve? Sure, yeah. That's I, I do think that's it. I think that the purpose of, of all living things is to express life at the level of its own ability to understand life or to experience its life. Infinite intelligence, I think, experiences itself through each and every living thing at the level of that that living thing's ability to express and and, and uh, exp- expand. Uh, that's, I think, one of the marks of evolution of consciousness is the ability of the life form to move. To to the greater the the intelligence evolving through the life form, the more mobility it has. In other words, a flower has more intelligence than a rock, but a snake has more intelligence moving through it than 
the flower because it, it has more control over its environment. And, and that just spirals right up the, the chain of, of uh, evolution to the human being, that we have the ability, because we have the ability literally more than any other living creature to control our environment, we have the ability to change our lives. Again, we <laughs> the same principle keeps running through my mind. Uh, the external versus the internal, we are taught to think of the evolution of humanity as a physical thing. And yet what you're saying is the mind evolves, the heart evolves, consciousness, yes. awareness evolves. Yeah. that's And that's the whole benefit of being being conscious is self-awareness. When When we become aware of the self, we can evolve intentionally. We don't, you know, Holmes said we evolve one of two, you know, one of two ways through inspiration or desperation. You know, I don't know he said that, but that, that's the inference of his, his, his ideas that he said that when, when, when mankind stood erect, meaning it, it changed from uh, animal to a human being, that's when evolution, perfunctory or mandatory evolution stopped. And the only way that man will evolve further is by the use of his mind and his consciousness. Well, we may evolve slowly without an effort, but we certainly can accelerate the process deliberately. Well, we haven't evolved. We haven't evolved very much in the last thirty or forty thousand years, have we? No. We're just doing the same things, but more efficiently. It's a slow process. <laughs> I think, again, part of the hang-up is that we externalize life. Yeah. And I'm trying to stay on track with this whole idea of, in the new year, creating a better relationship with our stuff. Yeah. Now, the third and fourth rules or steps or principles in your art of abundance are awareness and one of my favorites, accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness, uh, being aware you live in an expanded universe is, is key. If you're not, if, the, the minute you become aware that you're living in and through and as something that is pushing out, then you have the ability to guide it. And how you do that is the third rule, which is be accountable for your consciousness. Understand that your consciousness is the director, which directs the divine impulse that's pushing out through you. Your consciousness is another term for your belief system. Your belief system, your consciousness is just a sum total of everything you've ever been taught to, or thought to be the truth about yourself from the day you were born until this moment in time. That has created your life the way it is today. That's your consciousness. And that's the good news and <clears throat> the other news. And so if we, want, <laughs> if we want to evolve, we have to learn that we have to do something differently than we've been doing. And the only way we can do that is by changing our belief system our consciousness. And that's, I dedicate a whole chapter in the book because that's how important it is. It's the good news and the other news. It's not the bad news, but <laughs> to be accountable for your life, you do have to give up victimness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be willing to, to understand that you have the ability to change your beliefs. That and I, you know, the the most amazing thing is self awareness. Is you have the ability to think a thought or experience a feeling, and then step outside of the thought or that feeling and look at it, analyze it, poke it, touch it, feel it. If it doesn't feel right, if it's not working for you, then you have the ability to change it. But you can't do that if you're not self aware. I responded to a question on Quora just a few days ago. 
or someone asked, how do I prevent my negative thoughts from controlling me? And their response was basically, don't agree with them. <laughs> well, listen, you know what? Having been down that road, that's how, that was actually my entry level, my entry way into a higher uh, form of thinking to be a thought teacher and leader is, is realizing that there was a time in my life when my thoughts dominated me and I ran from them. They scared the hell out of me. And the only way that I could I could change those thoughts, I came to the conclusion, was to challenge those thoughts and to realize that they came from someplace within my own belief system. And the only way I was going to change the thoughts is to change the belief behind them. Well, there's more to it than that, though. While as true as that is, aren't many of our thoughts, especially the negative, intrusive, roof-brain-shatter that we call monkey mind, just a lot of crapola that the unconscious <laughs> is throwing up into our awareness i think that i think that we we've been percolating uh, marinating in thoughts from the day we were born and some of the thoughts that we've been marinating in don't come from us they they arrive they arrive up through us but we're they've been taught to us by others in the form of beliefs yeah and i think in its attempt to survive the fight-or-flight center in the amygdala is flailing about and trying to find danger everywhere. Well, yeah, we're, we're taught life is not a safe place. Yeah. Well, it's obsessed on the other. Yeah. Again, a product of this illusion of separation is there's someone out there that's not you. There's something called that that is not this. Yep. yep. And... Uh, it's after you. It's and and you know what, Michael? Fundamental religion invented that. It's called the devil. You know, it's 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 the basis of duality is that there's something pushing against us that we have to combat. It's also called in philosophy the subject-object split. Yes. Yeah. In our very language, we have a subject that acts through a verb on an object, so the verb separates the subject from the object. That's very Cartesian, the idea of all this duality is really messing us up. Yeah, it is. It's it, Fear divides. That's what it does. And that's, that's, that's why there's there so many people that use fear to control others. That's what, you know, I won't go into religions, but that's a lot of it's fear-based. Well, and if fear divides, love unites. And that was a big breakthrough for me. Uh, I was sitting in a theosophy class years ago, and the top of my head blew off. Not literally, of course, <laughs> but I realized love was consciousness. Yeah. It's it's unobstructed consciousness. It's it's consciousness that is realizing its oneness with, with the all that is. That's what it is, because that's what well, the nobody all had is. ever told me that. <laughs> I thought love was the feeling that I that I had for other people, my yeah. family, or my wife, or the dog, or maybe my job. Or that could be one of the dimensions of love. You know, love has many different dimensions. And, and it has to have a way to exp experience and express itself, and it does that through human beings differently. 
We need better words. Ringo Starr has been saying peace and love, <laughs> peace and love for 50 years. I never knew what he meant. I thought that meant, you know, mellow out and hug each other. And in fact, he's talking about Inner a transcendent <laughs> state of awareness. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Thanks, Ringo. Yes. That's <laughs> For fine. a drummer, you did you did well. He did well. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's continue on this idea of prosperity and abundance. Since we're at the first of a new year, coming up on it, what's your feeling about goals? How important is it to know what you want to begin with the end in mind? Well, that's the the fourth rule is is be focused. Understand that your your energy has to go someplace, and it'll go wherever the point of your focus is. That's why you have to you know mark your play, pay attention to your intentions, and the way you do that is by setting measurable goals. I'm I do a lot of mentoring with people all over the world, and and nonprofit corporations. You know, one of the first things we do is set up a vision and a mission, which illustrates goals with a game plan to get to those goals. Measurable goals, short term, mid term, and long term goals. We have to have a target to shoot at. A friend of mine who teaches some of these concepts as well points out that the value of setting a goal is less about attaining it than setting a direction. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Can you, you expand get, on that? Sure. Sure. I, I think that the goal is what gets you off the fence posts. You know, once you're underway uh, and you've got momentum behind you, if you see the goal needs to shift in order to get you to your ultimate goal, which is it goes back to peace of mind, which is that the the target of every goal is to finally, when we arrive at that goal, have peace of mind, whether it's through the objectification of some thing or beyond that. Um, we have to be able to know that our goals serve a purpose. Without them, the mind wanders. The mind is addicted to, as you've already said, habitual thinking. And goals help us train the mind to go in a specific direction. Your goals can be, they can change along the way, but once you're underway, you're under, you've got momentum behind you, and you discover you need to change your direction, you can. But there's nothing worse than sitting on the fence with indecision. So making a decision means that you've set a goal, and then you're going to set the intention to move towards it. I think it's also important to point out that avoiding what you do not want is not a goal. Well, unfortunately, what that does is it also gives directs energy towards that. By looking at what you don't want, you're telling the universe you want more of it. <laughs> That's like, uh, don't think of a purple elephant. Right, exactly. What, you know, what pops into your mind, but a purple elephant. So right. I see these signs at the grocery store, don't forget your bags. Well, how come? <laughs> maybe it'd be better if they say, remember your bags. That's exactly right, yeah. That's the way the mind works. Uh, that's a good memory uh, trick, I think. Uh, instead of berating ourselves, you know, oh, I have a horrible memory. And investing in, well, I'd forget my head if it wasn't screwed on. Uh, that kind of self-effacing humor is not very smart. If we, no, we have, The universe has big ears and it's always listening. And it only says one word, yes. Let me, I'll help you prove <laughs> I'll help you demonstrate whatever your your deepest, most profound thoughts are about what, whatever it is you're saying. It's always listening, and it always says yes. That's right. 
Dennis Merritt Jones is my guest. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom on KPFK. This miserable and perplexing year deserves an act of goodness and positivity to end it. KPFK has been bestowed with a $20,000 challenge grant from the DEW Foundation, an organization that supports nonprofits in the fields of medical, relief, welfare, education, community service, ministries, environmental programs, and arts organizations. That's right. Your $75 donation right now will mean $150 for KPFK. KPFK's staff will not give up on the important task of keeping you informed during these difficult times, but they do need your support. Not a member yet? Call 818-985-5735 or go to kpfk.org slash donate. KPFK needs to hear from you now. Double your dollar donation now by calling 818-985-5735 or going to kpfk.org slash donate. And thank you. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. I'm Michael Benner, happy to be here every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, and I hope you'll make it a habit to join us. My guest today, Dennis Merritt Jones, is the author of numerous books, including The Art of Abundance, and that's what we're talking about today. Abundance and prosperity, money and stuff, yeah, but more about the relationship that we have to all this Maya, because you got to have a relationship, and it can't be either or, that binary, all or nothing nonsense. Poverty's not going to make you happy, and having millions of dollars is no guarantee that you're going to be happy. So what's it all about? You know, having enough? Yeah, even then, there's no guarantee. So... We're in the world, we need to have a relationship with money and material goods. Oddly, one of the key principles in philosophy, it's usually attributed to Buddhism, I think, Dennis, is this principle of impermanence, that nothing really lasts. I don't think Madison Avenue wants us to talk about that, but uh, everything is really on loan. We're not owning anything, are we? That's right. Nope. Nope. It, it, that's, and that is the fundamental building block of the universe. Everything that has a beginning has an end. It has to. And it's when we cling, as the Buddha taught that, this, that attachment or clinging was the cause of all suffering. And it's when we cling to or, or, or attach to wanting something not to change when it's ready to change that we suffer. And everything that has a beginning has an end. Whether it's the chair you're sitting in or your relationship or your home or your beautiful body, it doesn't matter. It had a beginning. It's going to have an end. And when we, we get attached to wanting something not to change or to have an end, that's when we suffer. So living in the flow is really the key there, learning how to live in the flow of energy, of abundance. Well, flow reminds me of Taoism, which is pretty similar. It's sort of a Chinese version of Buddhism and probably predates Buddhism. Resist nothing is Taoism, the flow. Talk more about what that means in practical terms. Well, resisting nothing to me means that you're open to to allowing rather than forcing. You know, the, the, in this, the fifth rule is be in the flow in the book. 
and it's the subtitle is Unlock the Paradox to the Law of Circulation. And there is a paradox to it. You know, everybody likes the idea of receiving, but not everybody's too enamored with letting go. But they're both same ends of the, the same, different ends of the same stick. We have to be able to receive and we have to be able to let go. But there's a, there's a middle part to that equation that most people forget about or they're not aware of, and that's utilization. So the law of circulation isn't a two-step uh, thing where it's, it's accepting or receiving and letting go. It's receiving and it's utilizing and then releasing. And oftentimes we, we accumulate, and, and if we're not in the process of uh, when we accumulate more and more and more, we have to use it, and there's a time, there's, there's an uh, expiration date and everything. We have to let it go when we're done using it. That's energy is how it moves. Um, accessing and benefiting from the law of circulation is a threefold process, not a twofold process. It's accepting or receiving energy, and then it's using it, and that's the part we miss, and then it's letting it go. I don't know if that makes sense to it. Indeed. It, it brings us to the next step in your uh, 10 rules, which is passion and the importance of the way emotions and thoughts interface. I always try to think of thoughts, beliefs, ideation as an energy, but emotional passion is the drive or force behind that energy. Well, passion drives, you know, intellect or reason guides, but passion is the motor, it drives. And so you have to have the intellect, the, 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 and that's where the goals come in, by the way. You know, reason uh, points the direction, and passion is what fuels the, 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 the engines to get us there. It's kind of like the, the analogy of the sailboat. You know, the sailboat has a sail, but it also has a rudder. And if you try to go sailing without the rudder, the, the wind will blow you all over the place. That's passion. The rudder is what keeps you on, on course to the goal that you've set. So it's a combination of reason, logic, and feeling, emotion, passion, and, and allowing, finding balance between the two of those things. It's great hearing you say it in that way. I've always taught thoughts are the steering wheel and passionate, positive, emotional feelings is the accelerator. Yep, same way, yep. And, and fear is the brake. Yes, yep. And that leaves the question of who's driving, which is either consciousness or ego. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good one. And ego is supposed to ride shotgun, but it's always trying to get behind the wheel. <laughs> that's the truth. When, <laughs> when ego gets behind the wheel, we're we're doomed. Yeah, that's true. Or in the back seat's even better place for ego. Isn't it interesting the way ego will dress up like a spiritual being? Oh, the best, the best of intentions. You bet, you betcha. But you know what? The truth is, we 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 can't live without ego. We, I mean, that's what ego is. What causes us to get up in the morning, and brush our teeth, and 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 take a shower, and do things in our lives that that um, are, I think are necessity. So so we need ego in order to exist in the world in these bodies. But we also need to understand that. Uh, ego can't drive, as you said, drive the show. No, but it has a job. To, it's supposed to ride shotgun and have our back, like the old uh, 
Wells Fargo wagon uh, in the <laughs> Wild West. You know, you got to have one guy looking back over your shoulder. That's that's ego's job. In addition to your rule about passion, your seventh rule or principle in the art of abundance is to be blessed. Well, tell me about what does that mean? Well, blessing, being realizing number one, you are blessed. Blessings is a huge part of manifesting a, an abundance consciousness. Because which here here's the the process: what you bless expands. What you, in other words, when you focus on something and you give energy to it and you bless it, what you praise, what you give thanks for expands in your life. So I realize that to be blessed means that you are a blessing, but also that we need to bless the life that we have. We need to bless the things in our lives that we have. We need to bless the people in our lives that we have. We have to live in a statement, a, a state of consciousness of blessing, of giving thanks. I think many people feel that they're not worthy of feeling blessed, much less blessing others. Yeah, well, that's that's the combination of the shame-blame game that we talked about, shame and um, greed. Why should I bless others when they, they appear to already have more than me? But keep in mind, we're, we're also, not only are we blessed, but we are a blessing to others. What we do with who we are blesses other people's lives if we do it consciously. So being part of in the flow of abundance means that we have to be a blessing in other people's lives. It's not just all about us. What is grace? Grace is the self-givingness of, of life, of, of infinite intelligence, of God, if you will, unto its creation. It's, a, it's the free flow of, of life moving through its creation with grace and ease, with, with effortlessness. This area is of interest to me. Because so many religious people, I guess I'm talking about Christians in particular, appear to me anyway to have a sense of God intervening with grace. And that prayer is a petition, like a letter to Santa Claus, really, to give me this or do this for me. And if separation is an illusion and there's just one thing at work here, then there is no intervention. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. When you when you realize that you're blessed, you're in the flow of life, right? And and when you're in the flow, you're you're in the grace of life. You're 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 moving with life, which grace is the forward movement, the givingness of the universe to itself, to its through its creation. So, if prayer is not about petitioning. Divinity. Not no, not the kind of prayer that I do. What's it about? Well, a prayer is about affirming the, the, the gifts that have already been given to us, not asking for gifts. Gratitude? Yeah, gratitude's part of it. But an affirmative prayer uh, or affirms that you've already received the gifts that you desire. What about standing receptive and releasing limitations and using prayer and contemplation and meditation to create an, an alignment or a path of least resistance. Well, I think that, that staying in alignment with with your source is imperative. You have to be able to stay in alignment with, with life itself. Uh, prayer is certainly one of the ways to do that, but it's not a 
it could be a contemplative prayer, but it's not a it's not a prayer of want and need. It's not fill my bucket, God. You know, that's not what it's about. Prayer is about entering into a, a sense of gratitude and realizing that the gifts that you know what what is this in the scriptures is knocking the door will answer. Uh, the prayer is answered before you ask. You know, if you believe before you ask that it's answered. I heard someone say once, and this really resonated with me, they simply said, prayer does not move God, it moves the one who prays. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Made sense. But it's a concept I have to reorient myself to, given my background, my upbringing, and I think the damage that that was done to me as a child. Yeah, well, we were all, a lot of us were raised in a belief system that we were groveling worms in the dust, you know, under the table, you know, fighting for the scraps of food that God throws on the floor. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And yet, when we realize that we are one with the source, life itself, how can you not be worthy? I was thinking about this the other day, watching a documentary about ancient times and uh, tribes who would sacrifice humans to the gods so that it would rain or crops would come in or this seems to be an old meme that (laughs) that goes way back that why would god want us to kill each other or the fatted calf or what is this what is this idea of sacrifice well, I think it's it's about superstition. You know, uh, we, we, eons ago, you know, people believe that the God out there someplace, he had to to placate it in order for it to, to, get, to bestow the gifts upon, uh, it, its gifts upon us. And yet we realize that the undercarriage, the undergirding of sacrifice, again, is shame. I'm not enough. Why would I have to sacrifice anything if I believe I'm enough? So even before religion or philosophy, before written language. Oh, yeah. Shame has been, yep. And embarrassed. Yep. Yes. Shamed. Shame. Which, again, again, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is a feeling like you've made a mistake. Shame is a feeling you are a mistake. You're not worthy. Huh. And if you, if you believe you're not worthy, how can you ever manifest anything in life that is? Well, this brings us to your ninth step, which is about courage. Tell us about courage. Well, we have to be able to, you know, if you think you can grow anything new from within the field of what you already know, you're mistaken. You have to be willing to step out of the box of the known, and that requires tremendous courage to be able to come to the edge of everything you know and step out of it, because that is where new information is gathered. That's where consciousness expands, is in the unknown. You have to be willing to leave the comfort of the, the comfort zone and step into the unknown if you want to expand your consciousness. And consciousness is vital role to play in manifesting a life of abundance. One of the reasons I really like your program in the Art of Abundance is this all culminates with the idea of service to others and being a catalyst for good. Right. Speak to that, please. Well, serving serving others is really, we have to understand that to serve is to extend your 
essence or your energy, if you will, to others in a manner that enriches their lives. That's part of why we're here, is to give to others, to serve others. And when we incorporate an awareness of, of service to others in our daily lives, that puts us in the flow. See, I'll go back to all these different things. You, you realize you're blessed, you, and if you feel passionate about what you're doing, and you're in the flow. And <laughs> so so the, these rules are all connected to one another, and yet service is one of the higher forms of manifesting a life worth living. Not everybody who who lives in the human skin knows that the part of what they're here to do is to serve and give others. And yet there's a part of each of us that inherently knows it's true, but we have not really acknowledged it. The Art of Abundance, Dennis Merritt Jones. You can get the book in a Kindle or paperback, but how do people find out more about the Zoom class you have coming up? Thank you for asking, Michael. They can go to my website, DennisMerrittJones.com, and on the splash page, there's a link that will take you right to the enrollment page for the class. And while you're at the website, take a look around. You've got all kind. Go to my press room. There's all kinds of free downloads of eBooks and study guides and things that you can access that would help you embellish your experience of the books too. And Merritt has two R's and two T's. Two, t- right. M-E-R-R-I-T-T. Dennis Merritt-Jones, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you being on. Thank you, Michael. KPFK, and uh, blessings of the season to you and your family, and do it again. Excellent. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK, heard each Tuesday at 1 in the afternoon. I'm Michael Bemmer. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. So long from KPFK, Los Angeles.